everybody, how's everybody doing? I got a couple people doing good. All right, that's good. Um, well, my name is Michael Page. Just ignore these guys up here. They're, they're getting some stuff set up for us. Um, for It's going to be for our, our message today. But um, I, if it's your first time here this morning, I just want to welcome you. I want to give you a special welcome and say um, that we're glad you're here. Um, our heart at this church is to connect you, yes, you, every single person in this room, whether you've been here the entire time we've done this church every Sunday or if you, this is your first time. We want to connect you to a growing relationship with Jesus because we believe the church that's on mission, the church that is moving in action, the church that is that is that is seeing God come alive in their body is a church that is growing in their relationship with Jesus. Can we agree with that this morning? So that, that's where we're at this morning, and I'm so glad you've joined us. And I, I tell you every single week how blown away I am at what God is doing in and around us, and even in the diff, different seasons of the church um, that come and go like like summer uh, or, or vacation season, as I call it. Um, you know. Uh, the, the, I can still sense God's presence in, in and around us as we try to honor Him in everything we do. And if you don't, if you're here this morning, you don't have a church family or a church home, I just want to extend an invitation to you to jump on board um, and get involved because we have a lot of cool things happening here. If you're a part of another church, get involved there. Get rooted in those places where you're at and make sure that you are seeing God work and use the giftings He's put in your life to see the kingdom built because that's the entire purpose. And so um, the next thing is if you've been around a while, if you've been here for a few weeks or months and you've been kicking the tires and saying, you know, I'm just trying to see what this place is about, you know, my encouragement to you would be to jump all in. Get over the, the concerns and worries and get over the, the selfishness that may happen. Get it, just get over and jump in because if, 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 if you're not here than somewhere, but be all in somewhere. Because what I've learned is nowhere in Scripture do I see a Christian that's on the fringes. Nowhere do I see in Scripture where the Christian is on the outskirts of the church body. I see a Christian, a believer in Christ, following Jesus. I see a believer in Christ in the middle of the body, using the gifts he's been given to see the kingdom built in the areas where they were where they were working. And that's why we believe in this church that every member is a missionary, whether it's across your street or it's in the mountains of India somewhere, no matter where it's at, you've been called to use the giftings and abilities and the spirit that's been put inside of you if you're a Christian to be used wherever you go, whether that's Publix or whether that's Indonesia or whether that's Australia or somewhere else in the world. Make sure that you understand that this morning because one thing we take very seriously at this church is the Great Commission. And even though we're a baby church, we're, 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 very, we're fairly young, our plan is to spend every resource we have available to us to see God's name spread across this community and God's name spread across the entire world because his fame is what we are about. And we believe that every person needed to carry out that great commission is already seated in this room. We don't believe that we have a, a people shortage. We believe we have a, a leader shortage. And we believe that God's already put things inside of you to be used for those things. It's about pulling them out of you and about seeing you engaged in the mission, engaged in the Great Commission to see God's glory reach the ends of the earth and the end of the planet. And, and it's, it's the church's job to get in the game. It's the church's job to stop playing these church games and enabling its members to sit in perpetual state of infancy like we talked about last week and begin to move towards maturity and action. It's time for the church to begin raising up leaders who are raising up leaders instead of enabling the members to sit in sin. It's time to stop enabling members to sit in just infancy and, and spiritual immaturity and just complacency. It's time to move into action. And so that's where we're at today as we start this second week of this series called Equip. And before we do that, like every week, I just want to spend some time in prayer. I just want to spend some time just coming before the Lord 
and saying, God, it's all about you. It's not about us. I want to turn our hearts to heaven and ask God to move in our body and our families. Because everything we do, we want to honor him and put him at the center of everything we do. And that includes sermons. That includes worship. That includes everything. And so this morning, wherever you feel comfortable doing it, if you want to kneel next to your chair, if you want to sit in your chair, if you want to stand up, if you want to come to the altar, if you want to go outside, I don't care. Just whatever you feel like doing, just, 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 just turn your heart to the Lord. And I'll, I'll close this out in a second with prayer, but I just want to have a moment of just reflection. So I'll just spend some time in there. God, we just honor you as Lord. We honor you as the King. God, you're the, you're the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. God, you are over all. And Father, this morning, I pray that you would just be glorified in everything that's done and said here. God, I pray for the hearts in this room that may be deceived. I pray that you would just speak truth into their lives. God, I pray for the hearts in here that may be hard, that may be cold, that may feel nothing, that may be numb. God, I pray that you would speak life into their lives. God, I pray that their, their hearts would begin beating a little faster, God, and their hearts would begin to be um, to, to, to receive life again, Lord. I pray, Father, for the person that's far away from you in here this morning that knows it. I pray for you the, for the person in this room that's far away from you that doesn't know it, God, that you would make it clear this morning, and God, that your name would be uh, glorified and your, and your name will be lifted high because of the things that are done here today. Father, I pray for decisions to be made. I pray for a response for the gospel. Father, I pray this gospel will be made clear today. Father, I pray that you would receive all the glory because you're the only one that deserves it. Father, we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we started a series called Equip. And I'm, I'm, I told you last week, I'm pumped up about the, the logo. It's, it's awesome. It's great. Got a hatchet and a hammer. It just pumps me up. Um, that wasn't taken in my, my shed because I don't have a shed, but this way. Anyway, so equip, basically, we're talking about, we're basing it out of Ephesians 4, where um, Paul's telling the Ephesians that, you know, that he's telling them that, 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 that Christ himself has given the, the apostles, the, the evangelists, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers to equip the body for the works of service. And so we're going to read that in a second together. But what we're looking at is I, I'm, I'm showing you this, I'm trying to get a different perspective on this because but the heart behind this series is, is for our body, that's you and that's me, that's us as a big family here, that we would wake up, that we would wake up, be shaken out of our sleep, be shaken out of our complacency, be shaken out of our infancy and to what God's will is for this church, for the big C church, and where we fit in on that, on that spectrum of life. But what does it mean to be equipped? What does it mean to be on mission? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in our culture today? And we have to decide, are we, are we satisfied with just coming and doing church and playing church games and, and singing some worship for 15 minutes a week and, and doing this and hearing somebody talk for 10 or 15 minutes? I'm just kidding. A week. But our, or is our strongest desire, is our strongest desire to honor God, to honor Jesus in everything? Like, is, 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 is this us giving him our thirst and our best, not just in coming to church, but in using the gifts that's been putting inside of you? Are you even in a place right now where you're aware of the gifts that God's given you? Because you may be in a place where you're not even sure what that means. What's a spiritual gift? That's weird. I don't know what it means. Is this a charismatic church? Listen, no. Let, I'm going to tell you right now that every single person in this room 
who has put their faith in Christ has a gift put inside of them by the Holy Spirit. The people in here who are not a follower of Jesus have gifts available if they would just surrender their lives to Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, it's, it's one step away. And I want to tell you this is the model for the church. And I said this last week, as I read scripture, and I'm telling you right now, if you read scripture, you'll start noticing some things. It's like something doesn't add up. Like I'm looking at the church. I'm looking at the Bible. I'm looking back at the church. I'm looking back at the Bible. And like something just don't add up. Something's weird about the correlation between the Bible and the church today. And I don't understand. And I, when I say the church, when I'm talking about the church today, I'm talking about our culture church, the American culture church right now is what I'm talking about. And it doesn't add up in my mind because what I see in Scripture is not a pastor getting on stage once a week and preaching a message, but rather the whole body coming together, moving, being equipped by the leadership, functioning in the giftings that God put inside of them to see the kingdom built. The entire congregation has their mind set on kingdom purposes. Can you imagine what a church would be like if every single person in this room had kingdom mentality? Man, it would be unstoppable. It wouldn't be about a pastor. It wouldn't be about an elder. It wouldn't be about a connect group leader. It wouldn't be about a kid's ministry. It would be about the whole church moving in one direction. There ain't no time for this is my ministry. This is my money. This is my thing. This is what I want to do. This is where I see God going. No, there's unity in the body that's equipped to see the kingdom come. And that's what I want to see in our body. I'm, I'm going to fight for it, man, because I'm telling you. But sadly, what I see in the, in the church today is spiritual infancy. Like if I were to take one of you one-on-one, -on -one, right now we go to another room and hang out and talk for a second, and if I ask you a question, what is the gospel? Would you be able to give me a clear 30-second to 60-second definition of what the gospel is? I know some of you very well would be able to, but I'm, I, don't, I don't know everyone well, so I, don't, I can't say that, but that's just a, a self-evaluation thing for you to ask yourself. Would you be able to give a clear explanation of the gospel to somebody that does not know the gospel without using Christianese? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a question you have to ask yourself. What, would there be anxiety? It was, oh, God, I thought that, you know. Or what if I asked you, how do you make disciples? How do you make disciples? Would you be able to give me some clear definitions of how I make disciples? How do I make a disciple? What does it mean to make a disciple? Because let me tell you, I said last week, 1 Peter 2, it talks about the church being a spiritual house. And if you look a little deeper in there, it's a, it literally calls each individual of the church or is a, that's a follower of Christ a living stone. If you're, a, if you're a believer in this place this morning, you, have, you are identified as a living stone in the body, in the building of Christ. And what I want to show you is that you're being built up into a spiritual house that's being built on the cornerstone of Jesus. We baptized Tyler a few weeks ago. He's a spiritual stone that we put on top of the, of the spiritual house that we're building up. Now, he's, he's getting discipled. He's about to get discipled. He's about to learn what his gifts are. Then he's about, to start, he's about to start giving himself to the church, the building of the kingdom. That's how the church works. You're building a house, a spiritual house, on top of the brick by brick by brick. And so we can see it's not about one individual being paid to do all the work. It's about the whole body being equipped and care to carry out the work of the church. And at one time, if you look in Scripture, at one time the Spirit of God, where did it dwell? In the temple, in the temple, a tabernacle. At one point it was a tent, but it was, a, it was built by human hands. And what it did, it, was, it housed the presence of God, if, that, if that's a thing. But it started off, I said a minute ago, in a tent where it would follow the Israelites around. They would have a tent, they'd set it up, all, the, tent, all that stuff. And then it became bricks and mortar, came this huge, huge, beautiful temple. But now, because of Jesus, the Spirit of God lives inside his people. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible. Now it's mobile again. 
It goes everywhere. Any, anywhere, anywhere a Christian's at, there's, there's a Spirit of God moving, moving, moving. That's where it talks about one or two. Like if me and somebody, we're, we're the church together, that place, God's moving in that place. And so now, as we come together as a church body, these living stones that have been placed on top of each other, the picture of who Christ is can start to become clearer to the world. Does that make sense? You're starting to see us come together in one spot. The stones are here. The people should see Jesus. But when you have the stones coming here and not and just kind of scattered over there and scattered over there and over there, and they're not built on top of anything, you're, they're just seeing a bunch of stones just kind of scattered around. But let me tell you right now is that whenever the, 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 the world sees the church come together, becoming mature, being unified, built on the cornerstone, which is Christ, the world sees a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And that's our heart, is that we would portray who Christ is to the world outside these doors. And so can you imagine what a church would look like that functions in that way, united, moving in the same direction? And so that's our heart, and I'm going to fight as hard as I can to see it happen, but it can't be done alone. It has to be done with a body moving together, the same heart, the same attitude, the same mind, centered around this, centered around him to see his kingdom come, and this is where it's at. And so we're going to turn back to our original text we talked about last week in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and then 11 through 16. And then we're going to skip around to a couple other scriptures today as we talk about spiritual maturity. Um, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Let's read that together. It says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Now let's skip over to verse 11. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do what? To equip his people. That's the church. For works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until. So we're being built up. We're being built up. And we're, for, well, for how long are we being built up, Michael? Because we need to, we need to learn, learn this stuff. Like we're being built up until. Words like until are important in Scripture. Circle them. Look at them. Why is until there? Until we all, all of us, reach maturity and unity. We reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you're a believer in this place this morning and becoming the whole measure of the fullness of Christ is not your goal, you're living way below your means. Okay? Our goal is to become the fullness of of Christ, and that can't happen until we're mature and until we're together. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to move on. Um, then, 14, then you, we will no longer be infants. That, there, there's, a, there's the answer to the equation. If you do this, you will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. There's not one part of the body that's more important than the other. We all work together. Supporting ligament grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. Does its work. Such an awesome text. It builds itself up. It doesn't tear itself down. 
And as I said last week, there are two very prominent things in this scripture that God shows and his desires for his church. The first one is God desires for his church to be united. We're going to talk about that next week. That's going to be our topic next week. He also desires for his church to be mature. Those two things, united and mature, together, mature. It, it shouldn't surprise us at all that we have an enemy who's super smart. He knows what he's doing. He's spent eternity trying to figure us all out. He has eternity. He can outweigh us. We don't have the, if I can get past these next five years, he can outweigh you, okay? He's, he is so smart and cunning, and he's, he's very crafty and deceitful. But it's not a surprise that he picks these two things to fight against the church against the most. Unity tries to divide. We have thousands of denominations today. We have all these churches. I don't like that church. I'm going to this church. They told me I was a sinner, so I'm going over here. They didn't like how much I gave. I'm going to do this. I'm going over here. I'm going. I can't. What's happening? You know what I mean? We're so disjointed. The second thing is maturity. Like those are the two things. He wants to come against our maturity by taking us. I'm so busy. I got so much to do. I got work. I got kids. I got to feed this. I get up in the night and feed the babies. I do this. My wife got to take her on a date. I got to take care of my job. I got to work overtime this week. He wants to get you so busy that you don't have time for him, for time for God. You ain't got time to read the word. You ain't got time to be in prayer. You got time to go to community, get to connect group. Can't be involved in none of that because you got to do this. You got to do that. Where, where does that leave you in 10 years? It's so important that we understand that we face a real enemy to the church. And I want to say this morning is that you have everything inside of you, according to Scripture, if you're a believer in Christ, to battle that, to make decisions in those things. If, if Satan can keep us from, adjust, from investing in the Word, from investing in the body, from investing in who he is, if he can keep us from, from digging in and growing, if he can keep us from, from obeying Scripture, then what he can do is he can take you off the board. Your influence is gone. Our effectiveness for the kingdom is done. We'll have, we'll have a nice place to meet in. It'll be air-conditioned. We can hang out. We can talk about Jesus. We can hold hands and sing kumbaya. Influence gone. I don't want a church like that. I want a church that we are a body of believers who are unified, equals, pushing the kingdom forward, seeing real kingdom work happening, not some feel-good times every week. Because last week, we established that the church in our culture, by and large, is in this perpetual state of infancy where a high percentage, not all, but a high percentage of the church attenders are looking to be fed their weekly bottles and have their spiritual diapers changed every week. And then they go home satisfied, believing that they're in the middle of God's will for their life because everything seems to be quiet and normal, right? That's, that's how, it's, that's how it, my life seems to be okay. I mean, I'm good. God must be happy with me. That's not the way any of this works. But the church that grows to maturity like Ephesians 4 is talking about is referring to a, to a church that's being led by leaders who get it, who understand that it's not about me, it's not about anything I had to say, but everything that this has to say, and it's about me as a leader raising up more leaders. And it's about those leaders raising up more leaders. And it's about those leaders raising up more leaders times affinity. You see that? It never stops. It keeps going. Church elders and church leaders and pastors and teachers were meant to equip the body for works of ministry. You're meant to come in and shoulder tap. Hey, man, I see this in you. I see, I see the, the gift of teaching. I see the gift of generosity. I see the gift of service in you. Let me, let's meet and talk about this, man. There's something here. Let's, let's, see, let's see this. Instead, we have churches full of people who are coming in with their heads bowed and their shoulders down because they don't think they have any worth. And it's time for us to start showing people who they are in Jesus. 
Instead of, because if we don't, the world's going to tell them who they are without him. And so it's not about some superstar preacher coming up here and giving you a message once a week. It's not about that. But when you start preaching stuff like this, people run away. People run. And it's because we live in this convenience-driven culture, and we want our church to be fast and easy and without responsibility like the rest of our lives are structured. Does that make sense? People want a, a, a drive-through church. Like, you know, I, I, want, I, want my drive, I want my church to function. I want them to serve me like Chick-fil-A serves me. I want to walk out, and they say, my pleasure as I walk out. L- listen, I love Chick-fil-A. I, I'm telling you, but I'm telling you, if, it's, it's not about us in this place. It's about us being built up and sent out. It's about us being built up and sent out. This is not the type of church that I'm describing. Is not the church that Jesus came to set up. He created, he, he didn't create you as individuals in this church, as individuals in this body, just to breathe air and then one day to stop breathing air. That, that's not what it's about. You know, he, he didn't say, okay, well, this, this person's about done. No, just to get by with the most comfortable life possible. No, have you ever stopped and wondered, like, why was I created? Like, we have a vast majority of different people in here. We have infants in here. We have some, some middle-aged folks in here. We have some younger people in here. We have some, um, some older people in here. And so have you ever stopped at any point in your life and been like, you know, why was I created? What's the point of my existence? Why did I, why did I wake up this morning? Why did I, you know, what's, what's, what's the purpose of my existing? What's the point? And that question, what it should do, inevitably, that, that yearning and that question should drive you to the word. If you're looking for where to find that answer, it's in the Word. The question should drive you there. And it tells us exactly what the, the intent of God was, what he had in his mind when he created man. It tells us exactly the heart of God uh, behind the heart of the mission of God and what part we play in that. Because if you're a Christian, if you come into church and say, hey, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, let me, let, me get, let me help you out. The heart behind that is that your heart will be for the mission of God, to see the nations reached, to see the community loved, Because God doesn't save people just to exist. He saves us so that we'll be his faithful image bearers to spread his glory to the ends of the earth, starting in your home, men. You hear that? Listen, it's important. It's important because I'm going to tell you what, you can come to church here, guys, and be really awesome, but God knows what happens at your house. Your home is where the Great Commission begins. That's the start. That's the starting point in the home. Matthew 7 says, any tree that doesn't bear fruit is what? Cut down. But he also prunes us. God prunes us through teaching and instructs us in righteousness to do what? To bear fruit. Like we're called to bear fruit. The things you've been given are not been given to you for yourself. They've been given to you for you to glorify God by bearing fruit that he puts inside of you so that you can walk it out in obedience and say, here, God, this is this is, this is all I have. This is, this is yours. Every ounce of the giftings I have, every ounce of talent, every ounce of money, every ounce of time, every ounce of family is yours. I give it to you. I glorify you with it because you're above all, in all, and through all. You're, you're everything to me, Lord. So don't overlook the trials that, that come in your life and your attempt just to get through them to a more bearable state of life. Don't overlook them. Let the work carry itself out, carry its work out in your life. Because most of the time, the trials that you're facing are, are God, is how God refines you and prepares you for the mission that he's got for your life. One of, the, one of the easiest ways I can kind of define spiritual maturity for you is this, is spiritual maturity is the result of an active and consistent pursuit of the heart of God over all else. 
Spiritual maturity is the result of an active and consistent pursuit of the heart of God above all else. And so what that looks like, there's a word, there's a couple of words in a definition, is a result. The resulting effects of a constant and an active pursuit of God's heart is a maturity in your spiritual life that can't be mistaken and that bears fruit without you even having to do anything because your heart is just overwhelmed with God's presence, his love, his joy for what he's done for you on the cross. And all I want to do is serve him because he's good. And this happens as we start believing God. You start, you start believing what he says about you and about himself, and you stop living on emotions and feeling. I don't really feel like God. I don't feel, God, I don't feel God's presence today. He must not be here. I must have done something wrong. So I'm going to spend the next two weeks trying to figure out what I did wrong. I'm going to try to self-loathe some, throw some ashes on my head, you know, make sure I'm, I'm good. And, you know, and Listen, it's not how it works. This happens through the word. You dig into the word. When you don't feel God, you dig in deeper. When you don't feel God, you dig in deeper, deeper, deeper into the word. And then you'll understand it's not about feeling. You'll start seeing it's about God. It's about him sanctifying you through the truth. John 17, 17, what does it say? Sanctify them by the truth because your word is what? Truth. It says, and this is Jesus praying to God, like sanctify them by your truth. Like, God, give them the word, teach them things through the word. Like, we read scripture, and then what we do? We do what it says. And that's where the American church has lost its way. We read scripture to put on Twitter, not to do what it says, not to take the next steps, not to take the next steps, not to take the, like, God, God told me I should do what? Man, that's going to be hard, but I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to not do it because I love my father. You know what I'm saying? That's what it, that's what it looks like. But it's a process that takes us through our entire life. It's not something that we can get in five minutes. It's not something that we can get in 30 minutes or two days or two weeks. Spiritual maturity is done through a constant life of obedience. It's a process. Just like there's a physical life and development stages that you go through, like you're not, you don't develop just by chance. You're not, you're not, phys, you're not you know, psychologically and physically developed just by random randomness. There's a process that you go through that either progresses or hinders those things. And so what I want to show you, I have some things up here. I'm sure y'all have been noticing them. They're just, they're just there. So, um, but this is, this is how it looks in the life stages of a Christian. And some of these, you may be able to add anything to any one of these stages. And these are just the four stages that I kind of put them in because there could have been like 10. And I just kind of did a summary. And this was just kind of what I did. And you can do your own at home if you don't like mine. Don't criticize me, okay? But this is where it's at. And so I took it this way. And so look at, when you first get saved, that you come to Christ, you realize that you need a Savior. You realize crap, I'm a sinner. What am I going to do? You realize you need Jesus. You come to Christ. You say, Father, I don't know how to do this, but I just surrender to you. I'm going to surrender my life to you. And it looks like tripping and falling, standing back up, tripping and falling, standing back up, trying to walk into what Christ looks like. But slowly you stop tripping so much. There's a baptism that happens. It says, you know, it says you repent and be baptized. And so we saw a couple weeks ago, we had baptism. So the next stage of salvation, you go into baptism. And then after that, there's an inward focus that happens. And a lot of times in this stage, what happens is there's two sides of this. The inward focus is like, I'm going to try to be the best person I can be. I'm going to try to stop sin. I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to do this, which is completely wrong. But this is a natural tendency of a new believer. That's why this one right here is important for people. And so it's so important that we see that that inward focus should drive us to deeper into the gospel, not further away from the church. So that inward focus needs to turn in, God, how can I honor you better? And how can I turn this outward to see your kingdom built in my life? And so that's stage one. You got that? 
Okay, stage two. This is kind of an uh, earlier stage. This actually could probably be like 1A or something. Does that make sense? This could actually still be kind of part of stage one, but this is where I'm at, so just don't leave me alone, okay? So stage two is you get involved in community. Like these two right here happen pretty quickly. Like this is like bam, bam, okay? This is maybe weeks, months, whatever. So you get involved in connect group because we believe, who's in a connect group in here? I'm, doing, I'm targeting right now. Okay, okay, got you. All right, so listen, get into a connect group. Anybody in this room that's in a connect group can tell you connect groups are awesome. It's about, it's about pushing your brother and sister forward in the kingdom. It's about accountability. It's about prayer. It's about honoring one another. It's about honoring Jesus and being on mission. We have in our connect groups growth, care, and mission. We want to grow together. We want to care about one another. We want to be on mission together. That's our heart. So you get in a community. Then you get into some discipleship. Discipleship is so important. Discipleship looks different for every person, but it's always biblical-based is what discipleship should look like. And then you, then you start seeing some church investment. You start seeing, if I'm going to be a Christian, I have to be invested in the body of Christ. I can't just be on the fringes. I can't just be over here. If I say, hey, I'm a Christian, to say I'm a Christian and not to be involved in church is, a, is, not, is, is very inaccurate. It's double negative, however you want to say it. It's not good. Listen, you can't say, hey, I'm a Christian and not be involved in his church. You can't be a Christian and say, I don't love the church. I like Jesus, but I don't like the church because Jesus came to die for his church. So we should love his church just as much as Jesus loved his church. So this is the stages. Then you come over here. This is where it gets kind of real. So stage three, you start recognizing your calling. If you're going through some discipleship and you're involved in a community, if you're starting to see yourself involved in church a lot, you start saying, hey, man, I'm pretty good at this. The God's really kind of giving me some, um, I, you know, a heart for missions. I, I, I'm going on mission things with my connect group. I'm starting to realize I have a really good heart for people. My heart, I, I love serving people. I love being on mission. It just drives me crazy. I love it. It pushes me forward. Or I, I, I may... I may uh, have a love for kids that, that I never knew I had before. I want to I work with kids or students. Or, you know, I, I may be good at teaching. Uh, what, God, God may use those types of things to call you into ministry, may call you overseas, may call you into your neighborhood to start ministry somewhere. He may call you to be a better husband or a better wife to teach you. How, so you start recognizing you're calling who you are in Christ, who you're meant to be as you follow him. So you see the stages are kind of building on themselves. And then you become to this you start seeing yourself becoming a disciple maker. So you start losing that inward focus and your focus are starting turn, turning outward, saying, hey, I need to be a disciple maker. If I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple maker. If I'm a Christian, I'm a missionary. And that's what it looks like. And then it turns you into a missional living believer. You're an advocate for the people who are, who are, where there's injustice being done. You're an advocate for those people. You're, you're loving those who are the least of these, and you become, you, your goal is to see yourself in leadership in church. And when I say leadership in church, I'm not talking about an elder. I'm not talking about a connect group leader. I'm talking about somebody who's taking out the trash. I'm talking about somebody who's loving on somebody that looks down in the, in the auditorium that has no one to sit with. Go up and talk to them and love on them. Church leadership is a, is a whole long list of things. But it, it, what a church leadership is about is you're starting to see the heart of God come out in you. The heart of God is becoming evident in your life. So you go from salvation to the heart of God becoming evident in your life. But what I see so many times is I see, I see this right here trying to be on stage one. Or I see this, this church leadership over here in stage one still. I'm seeing pastors who need to be on stage one still. And I'm not seeing that. And that's where the problem is. We're trying to get outside of biblical influence in our churches. And that has to stop. Because until we're committed to growing in maturity in the body, 
The church's relevance in our communities and this effectiveness around the world in our culture will, will continue to be weaker than it should be. And I want to say that this is why our mission at this church is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. Because we believe with all our hearts that, that a relationship that's growing goes through healthy growth stages. Can we agree with that? A growing relationship starts, it has, has healthy growth stages. You're, you're, you're growing at a healthy rate. You're not thinking you're bigger than you are. You're, not, you're realizing where you're at. You're having some good self-awareness, and you're growing at a healthy level, and you're seeing yourself become a leader in the church that's raising up other leaders. Because guess what? When you get down there to that church leadership side, you're leading someone else over here through the cycle again. And it's one big cycle all the way through. Leader, 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 leader. One after the other. Leader, leader, leader. That's what it's about. It's a healthy growth stage. And I want to give you three quick truths about the spiritual maturity. Um, one that I talked about last week. Um, the first one is, uh, I said this last week, spiritual, spiritual immaturity is always caused by spiritual adultery. Spiritual immaturity is always caused by spiritual adultery. Um, remember last week, I brought Nicole and Thomas on stage, and um, I, I brought them on stage, and we talked about their marriage. I talked about how amazing, God th- amazing things God's been doing in their life, and, and I brought up a scenario about how one day Thomas comes home, and Nicole's getting ready. She has perfume on, a beautiful dress. Thomas is like, hey, did I miss something? I forget a date. She's like, no, I'm good. She told Thomas that she had a date with an ex-boyfriend, and that she was headed out to dinner to a movie, and then she was going to the Marriott for the night, and then she'd be back tomorrow morning about mid-morning. And I said, Thomas, is that, any of that Okay. What do y'all think he said? No. <laughs> I tired Thomas again. <laughs> but why is that not okay? Why? Because they live in a covenant marriage. They're committed heart and soul to one another. They're not going to go that That's not where they're going. But, but this, honestly, this scenario, if you want to normalize it, this is how we treat Jesus sometimes as a Christian. Now, it's impossible for you, for me, to grow in maturity while we still seek things outside of God's will. It's impossible. You will always be stuck in no man's land somewhere trying to figure out where you're at. Where you're at. Your identity would just be, you don't know where things are at. Thank you. And it's impossible for us to grow in maturity. James 3, 11 and 12 says this, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapefruit, or excuse me, a grapevine bear figs. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The way the church allows and confirms spiritual complacency has created generations, generations upon generations of Christ followers who are powerless, who are misinformed, and who are confused in their identity. Spiritual complacency that is left unchecked can lead to ungodly compromise. That's why you see yourself sometimes in these places of no man's land, not knowing where you're at. It's easy to start giving in to some of the things that you once gave away. It's easy to start giving in to some of the thought processes that, 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 start, that once ruled your mind because you have no compass to where you're at in Christ because you haven't seen the, the spiritual complacency destroyed in your life and the vibrancy of the Holy Spirit coming in to replace it because you haven't given yourself over completely to his rule and his reign in your life. Because spiritual immaturity, what happens is it's caused when sin is left unchecked and unconfessed. When people live outside of community, the people will say, you know what, community is just not for me. 
I'm not really into connect groups. I'm not really into to living my life alongside of somebody else. I'm kind of a lone wolf. You know what I mean? I kind of do my own thing. And I want to tell you today with as much love in my heart as I can because I love you, but that's a bunch of horse crap because I'm going to tell you right now, anybody that comes into contact with Jesus and has the Holy Spirit living inside of them comes in contact with the church and lives with them and loves them and sees it to fulfillment. Anything else is a false belief. That's scriptural. This is not a feelings-based thing. I'm not telling you my opinion. I'm telling you things I've read in scripture because I believe this is the inerrant word of God and it's true. It's true. Sorry, I got passionate. I want to tell you, if I can't find it in Jesus, I don't want it in me. And that's what it's about. That's what it's about as we live our lives to see Jesus made famous and see Jesus' kingdom come. The second thing, number two, I said this last week too, but I want you to hear it again because the last message didn't get recorded. We need this on record. Number two, spiritual maturity is more closely related to obedience than it is to time. Spiritual maturity is more related to obedience than it is to time. Physical maturity is bound to time. Physical maturity is bound on time. Excuse me. Physical maturity is bound on time. Spiritual maturity is bound to obedience. No matter if you get saved when you're eight years old or when you're 80 years old, you enter into this race as a spiritual infant. You do. I don't care if you're 80 or eight. But you need to take those next steps in your faith to see the kingdom come in your life and be worked out in your life. And what I'm learning, what I'm learning is this, is, Often what we call spiritual maturity really isn't. You know what I mean? Like in the church these days, I look at a lot of what we call, I'm, that, guy's, that guy, pff, he's mature in his faith. And I would grow up and I start reading scripture. And I look at that guy again. I'm like, wait a minute. That guy had me fooled my whole life. Look, what we call spiritual maturity isn't. How many of the Pharisees thought they were spiritually mature? Oh, <laughs> yeah. All of them thought they were spiritually mature. But they had the king of kings come and tell them what? Bro, you're like a whitewashed tomb. That, that's, listen, they thought they were, they had it together, man. I, I'm, I am the, you know, I got it together. I know all the Bible. I'm good to go. Beauty on the outside, dead on the inside. How many of us are sitting here like that today? I, that's where I was at for many years. I, man, I had it on the outside. I was clean, inside, dead. I had it looks, but I, inside you opened me up, I was spiritually dead. Because it doesn't matter how many times you've sat on a pew, how long you sit on a pew or a chair, or how long you've attended Bible study or led Bible study or, or served in VBS. It's not until you've been the knee to Jesus that you experience the spiritual growth that Scripture talks about. Spiritual growth happens when you surrender to Christ. Self-awareness, self-awareness. I'm, I'm, I'm a living testimony to tell you, if you're not self-aware, you're going to hurt somebody. If you're not self-aware, you're going you're to miss it. Self-awareness is crucial in our faith, but as often as overlooked because we're so self-deceived in a way that we live our lives, even as Christians, because we try to look better than we really are. We come to church and we try to put on these fake images because we want people to think we're mature in the faith because we've been in church my whole life. We rarely come to church. You rarely see a, a huge turnout of this altar because we're scared. If I go to that altar, somebody's going to think something's wrong with me. Instead, the church 
Somebody goes to the altar, we crowd around that person. We build them up. We pray for them. We lift them up and we send them back out. We're not a church that is judgmental. And if you felt like you've been judged in this place, you come see me and you give me a name and we'll talk. Uh, okay. So it's, 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 it's important to have self-awareness. And I want to ease your minds. Like we're a family in this place and we're a family. I just told you, we want to be real. I want a church that I'm a part of to be real. I want to come into your house. I want you to come in my house. And I don't want to feel like I had to fake something. I don't want you to feel like you had to fake something with me. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to be real and I want, to, I, want, I want to know your dirty laundry. I want you to know my dirty laundry and I want to still be friends. And I want us to walk through stuff together. Don't come up in here acting like you got it all together if you don't. Don't. Because your pastor definitely doesn't. My wife can tell you. My friends can tell you. No one is impressed by how much scripture you know if you aren't living it out loud. Nobody's, nobody cares about how, much, uh, how many times you've served here or done that if it's not coming out in your life. It's about loving people because when we're connected to Jesus, scripture will start coming alive in this place, in this room, in, the, in our homes. And I want nothing more than to see Jesus glorified in the church like I read in scripture. It doesn't matter how long you follow Jesus. It's not until you begin to trust him and obey him that you start seeing yourself mature in faith. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells us to go to make disciples of all nations. This is God's heart. And you can't do that while trying to hold up this image that's not even real. You spend so much time, it's so tiring. I can tell you from experience, from trying to impress my friends, my church friends, my pastors, my youth pastors, I was trying to hold up this image that I couldn't even hold up. And it got so tiring. If we don't, if we don't love the things that God loves, how can we say that we follow Jesus? I know you think this, um, this is a religious jargon or some kind of thing to say, hey, I started, oh, look, I never ever, and I never want y'all to, I never want to feel like a dancing monkey up here. I never want to feel like I'm here to entertain people. I never want to feel like, the, I, people are like, that was a good sermon. That was a good job. I don't care if it was a good sermon or a bad sermon. All I care about is you guys hear the word and you respond to it. I would, I would honestly like to preach from behind a curtain because I don't care about anything. I want you to know Christ and I want you to see him resurrected. I want you to see him come alive in your life. If we don't obey the most basic commands in scripture as a church, how can we pr progress in maturity? We won't. A lot of self-proclaimed Christians are walking around confused because they got saved. They got baptized. They joined a connect group. They were doing all the things but they just don't seem to hear from God. God doesn't speak to me. I pray the prayers hit the roof. I pray the prayers hit the roof. I can't do it. It's probably because two things. They haven't followed Jesus in the most basic commands that are found in Scripture. And two, their heart is still super inward focused because, listen to what they said, my prayers aren't hitting the ceiling. My prayers aren't being heard by God. It's still about you. You have to realize that, that God loves you. God's not obligated to talk to you. God loves you. We're meant to follow him. We're meant to follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords in a way that's done in surrender. Not with, not with um, I'm praying to you now, you gotta speak to me. I'm not, God is not under no obligation. He serves no man. We're supposed to follow him. 1 John 2, probably my favorite passage in scripture, three to the six, says we know that we have come to know him if we what? Keep his commands. 
Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a what? Liar. My gosh, I love the Bible. And the truth is not in that person. That's very straightforward. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And one of the greatest hindrances to obedience, I want to tell you this morning in our church, in the church, the Big C Church, one of the greatest hindrances to obedience is the fear to leave the familiar. One of the greatest fears that you have as a Christian will be to leave what's familiar. What's familiar? Thousands of churches across this nation right now are living in sin this morning because they choose to follow tradition instead of God. I'm not being judgmental. I've I've been in those churches. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way it's always been done. This is the way it's always been done. It's usually the church's dying words. And as the body of Christ, we have to be eager to leave what is familiar for what is true. We have to see the beauty in following Christ no matter what the cost. This means leaving our comfort zones so that we are able to grow. Now, I obviously don't work out, but does anybody here works out? Gym, are you any gym rats? All right, one or two, none, none. All right, three, okay. Some honesty, listen, I want real now. Remember, I told you I'll be real. Got three work, people work out here. I need y'all to disciple us other lazy people. Listen, growth rarely happens in the soil of comfort, right? If you go into the gym and you're working out, I'm going to just be lazy today. Growth's not going to happen. If you're, if you're, listen, if you're in a relationship where you're trying to get to the most comfortable state of that relationship, no matter what, growth is not going to happen. Growth happens in the soil of discomfort and pain most of the time. Pain, suffering, trials. Growth happens in those places. A lot of you times, are, a lot of you guys are asking questions to God when you pray. It's like, God, why am I feeling this way? Why am I going through this? What's happening? When is, it, when is the light going to come back on? When is my marriage going to be okay? When are my kids going to stop batting crazy? When is the money going to come? When is my job going to come? But instead, start looking at God and say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? Start learning what God wants to show you in the soil of discomfort, in the soil of pain, in the soil of of suffering and trials. And always run back to the gospel in those moments. This is how you mature spiritually. Running away from discomfort will, will make you spiritually immature. Run towards God in those moments. Remember the gospel. Because we're not just saved by the gospel, we're also sustained by it. You never get past the gospel. You, you, a lot of times we get saved and baptized and we have the inner focus, we start doing discipleship and we kind of forget about the gospel, but you never get past the gospel. It, the gospel is everything. The gospel should be everything to us for the rest of our lives. We don't grow outside of it. We don't grow from going outside of it. We grow by going deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel, deeper into the gospel. We will be a church that follows Jesus at his every word. We will be, and we'll be church that goes after the gospel. The last point is this, number three. Spiritual maturity is becoming less self-centered and more God-conscious. Less self-centered and more God-conscious. Self-centeredness is defined as a a concern with one's own interests and well-being and self-love and and egotism, all those types of things. Jesus, he strikes at the heart of this when he talks about it in Matthew verse 16. Jesus says this, verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. 
We wrestle with this deny ourselves thing. We wrestle with this take up our cross thing. We wrestle with this follow me thing because our entire culture, every single thing in our culture points to self-gratification, instant gratification, egotism, self-centeredness, go after this, get that, American dream. You want this? She don't please you? Go to her. If you don't want this, change your job. If you want my money, go back to school. Do this, do that, do that. Get, get, get. It's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. Right? That's what our culture teaches us. But the Bible, Jesus in the Bible says, you must deny yourself. That means going into the shadows and pushing someone else into the light. It means, it means backing away from the, the praise. It means backing away from the things that, that you want to be honored in. Taking up your cross means, guess what? You're not even promised life if you follow me, but you're promised eternal life for eternity. It's important that we see that eternal life starts now, not when you die. Then in Romans 8, I love Romans 8, best chapter in the Bible as far as I'm concerned, says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Listen to this now. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh can what? Cannot please God. It's impossible for you to please God if you're living in the realm of the flesh. And I want to tell you this morning, there's a lot of you in here this morning that may be struggling with this right now. I'm a Christian, but nothing in my life says that. I'm a Christian. I'm stuck over here in, in 1B somewhere. I don't know where I'm at, but I surely haven't been over here. I surely haven't seen my life move this way. I haven't seen healthy steps in my maturity. I haven't seen the reality of Scripture come alive in me. I haven't seen those things. That might be you. But I'll tell you right now, if our minds are set on the Spirit, it's hard to please the flesh. That's what Romans 8 is telling me. If my mind is set on the Spirit, it's hard for me to give in to the flesh because I know the Father. I know He loves me. I know what He's done for me because spiritual mature happening. Spiritual maturity happens when we die to ourselves and come alive to Christ. And our desires start to come alive for God's desires and we can consume the word. The church has to stop looking at Jesus as someone who's, um, who's come to serve us. He's gotta start, we got, we've gotta start looking at Jesus as somebody that we are gonna serve no matter what. On my knees, on my face, Jesus, give me what you want and I, me to do and I'll do it. And let me tell you, we all, me included, we all slip in the mindset of Jesus being our cosmic eight ball where he gives us what we want and helps us in times of need. We all fall into that, right? But do you understand how heretical that is? I just want to take a little path right now. I want you to understand how heretical it is for us to look at Jesus as someone to serve us. We need to understand the reality that we could put ourselves above God should blow your mind. It should blow your mind the reality that my mind can even go there. Because one day you're going to stand before God, you're going to stand before your creator, and your mind's going to be completely blown. Your, your senses are going to be shot because you can't take it all in. Because God is incredible. And I want to tell you, we have to have a clear picture of who he is and who we are. Because spiritual maturity will become expedited whenever we have our encounter with Christ and we see the reality of his supremacy and his sovereignty and his glory. And then we're seeing, well, God, all I got is a nice outer 
outer you know, thing. I got, I got a whitewashed tomb. That's all I got. Listen, the reality of our sin in the presence of Almighty God should cause us to tremble. Tremble in, in fear, but in a good fear. That he saved us. He's made a way for us to come to him. The key to gaining a deeper level of spiritual maturity is, to, is in our spiritual lives is to come to the revelation rather, rather quickly that because Jesus did what he did and, nobody, and, and nothing else, there was made a way back to God because of what Jesus did. And that's not about me and it's not about you. It's about him. We did nothing to earn it. The gospel is about the glory of God and his defeat of sin and death. And we were just the benefactors of grace poured out on the cross. That's the only, that's the only part I played. The only part, part I played in the whole entire equation was my sin. That's all I did. That's all I did was give him my sin. We did nothing to earn it. We're just powerless bystanders to God's grace and greatness. And we were witnesses to the great cosmic wonder that we call the gospel. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about these guys. Scripture's not about me. Uh, my life's not about me. Scripture tells the story of a man coming in Christ to live in a life that, that's completely worthy of all those things. And it wasn't me. The Word is the story of who God is and what God's done. Every page, every story, every punctuation mark points to Jesus. And without the Word, we don't have a clear picture of who Christ is. And this morning, I want to tell you, bottom line, as we close, if you, don't, if you neglect the Word, you don't mature. Period. If you neglect the Word, you don't mature. And I'll tell you what, you can make every excuse you want to. There's no way around it. If you aren't a student of the word, you aren't maturing spiritually. And I've heard a thousand excuses in my own life and in the lives of others that range from the Bible's boring, I don't understand it, um, I don't have time, I read devotionals, Michael, I pray, I go to church, I go to a small group, I have Christian friends who pour into me. The Holy Spirit teaches me all I need to know. I'm a good person, just stop. If you aren't feeding on the word, you aren't maturing spiritually. It's as it's, it's, it's simple as that. And as we mature in our faith, we have to see sooner than later that it's all about Jesus. We wrote it in big font for you on the wall out there, just in case you ever forget when you walk in here. It's all about Jesus. The Bible tells us to die to ourselves, and that means we die to who we are and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and breathe new life into our souls to become a new creation, the old being gone and the new coming to life. Spiritual maturity isn't changing so God will love you. I got to change so God will love me. I got to change so I can get saved. Spiritual maturity is becoming more of who Christ is and less of who we are. Spiritual maturity is not about making every decision based on our comfort and our pleasure. It's allowing obedience to take precedent over comfort and pleasure, no matter what. And where are you at this morning in this? Are you in a place where you're like, Michael, listen, I would like to say I'm over here somewhere, but in reality, I'm over there somewhere. And my family thinks I'm over here. My boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or husband thinks I'm over here. But when I'm by myself, I'm over there. I'm, I'm, I'm actually probably hugging stage one, scared to get out of there because it's scary over here. Does that make sense? Where are you at this morning? Are you, do you know Jesus? Have you grown up in a culture that says Jesus, 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 Jesus to everybody, but you've never seen it lived out like you're supposed to? If that's you and you never come into a relationship with Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to come into a relationship with Jesus this morning that is real, that's vibrant, that will, that will change your life and put you on a pathway of growth that lasts eternity, not just 60 or 70 or 80 years.
And if that's you this morning, I'm going to be standing right over here. There's some women here. There'll be some men here, I think, that would love to pray with you. That would love to say, this is how you get to Jesus. This is how you go. This is the way. Let me take you there. And we will pray with you and we'll get you to there. But let me tell you what. What else? If you haven't ever come to Christ and said, Father, I need more of you in my life. I've, I've, I've been a poser, God. I need you to forgive me. And I need you to put me back on the path that leads to you. Come to this altar. This altar is a safe place that is made for you to come and lay your life down in front of Christ's feet and say, Father, I need you. And we want to pray with you. So don't let anything hinder you from coming to Christ this morning. So make that decision because anytime the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit is present. Anytime the gospel is preached, the intention is for there to be a response. And so every single soul in this room, I pray that there will be a response this morning, whether that's in your seat, whether that's at this altar, or whether that's in somebody's arms as they're praying for you. But don't leave unchanged. Don't give up on this opportunity to come face-to-face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords this morning to say, I want more of you, Father. So let me pray for you, then y'all come. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, we praise you for the gospel. We praise you for your son. We praise you for all you've done in our lives all this point. God, I pray, Father, for the person here this morning that's lost. I pray that you would just make it clear to them this morning that they need you. God, I pray for the marriage that's broken, the finances that are broken. God, I pray whatever is going on, whether it's illness or, or just life, just being just numb, God, I pray that you would speak life into people's lives this morning. God, bring someone to you, Father. I pray that one person this morning would quit playing games and come to the foot of the cross and say, I need Jesus. God, I beg you to save someone this morning. We love you so much, Father. We just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.